Welcome back to the Gutology podcast. If it's your first time listening, you may want to go back to season one where we explore the fundamentals of the digestive system. It's just a, it's a really great sort of basis for improving your knowledge around gut health. Uh, coming back, um, uh, welcome, thanks. We've had an amazing response to the first episode. We've also been inundated with people uh, coming to the website, gutology.co.uk, and using our chat to a gutologist uh, function where you can type in things about um, your diet or supplementation or um, uh, psoriasis and our qualified uh, bank qualified gutologists will we'll get back to you and, and, and have a chat and that's all our kind of start towards um, trying to make nutritional therapy accessible for everyone regardless of income or where you are in the world and um, yeah I'm really really proud of, of of what we've done so far and thank you for, for being a part of that um, you can also download our six week elimination diet and that is absolutely free of charge as well you can you can download it anyway fill your boots online gutology.co.uk got a great episode this week let's get started So the year 2020 and the word stress have sort of become synonymous. I don't think there's a single person on planet Earth right now that this year hasn't felt some kind of sort of increased stress. But I think it's really important to, to talk about stress in a very balanced way um, here. And let's let's start with the fact that not we have such negative connotations around stress. Let's kind of start with that. Not all stress is bad. No, not at all. So, you know, if you think about, you know, stress is, you know, it's a word that kind of means everything and nothing at the same time. But there are forms of stress that really challenge us and kind of shape who we are. And that's really important. So, you know, if you were to have a complete absence of stress and pressure in your life, there's not really any opportunity for growth. And, you know, who you are as a person is quite dependent on actually your response to stressful situations and circumstances. So, you know, we're actually designed, we have a stress response in our body that's physiological, it's there for a reason. So we're actually set up completely to handle stress. I think the issue with stress is when it just becomes a relentless thing, that then our ability to actually cope with it and all of those mechanisms that our body inherently has to cope with it, I've just pushed to their limit, really. But, you know, some some aspects of stress are actually beneficial for health. So thinking like cold showers, for example, you know, is like, you know, an immediate source of thermal stress to the body, but it has huge physiological benefit. You know, if you were to prolong that for an insane amount of time, yes, it would become a negative sort of stress. But, you know, kind of short bursts of stress um, coming from different sorts of um, avenues in your life can be really, really beneficial for your health. So what we're going to do, the way we're going to set this up today is that we're going to we're going to talk about how stress can physically affect the body, because we think of stress as something that's in our heads. But what are the sort of physiological impacts of that on the rest of the body? I think that's really important to understand. And then we'll go into, well, what are the things that you can do to com to combat that, whether it's supplementation, lifestyle changes, other things that you can do in your life? So. Let's start there. And it's the Gutology podcast at the end of the day. So we'll talk about how stress affects digestion and, and what actually happens in the body where you are when you are sort of revved up and how that does affect the way that your food goes through your body. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, if we, if we think of the stress response of it's it's the same response no matter what the stressor is. So the stressor is the thing that 
makes that kicks in that that response. So, you know, the the cortisol response, the adrenaline response, the fight or flight response, as a lot of people know it by, this is going to be the same response, whether it's an emotional stress or a physical stress or you're studying for an exam or a driving test or something, no matter what the, the source of stress is, the physiological response is the same. We just have one stress response. Um, so if we just think about what what that actually means, for firstly, for your digestion. So your digestion is considered in like an acutely stressful situation. It's completely unnecessary. You don't need to get nutrients out of your food if you're being chased by a tiger. You just don't need it. So, um, you know, what happens in the gut when you're when you're under stress is like the blood supply gets diverted to your muscles so that you can run away and your blood pressure and your heart rate will go up. But the blood supply close to the gut, close to the intestinal tract that would be there to absorb the nutrients from your food has been diverted. So, you know, it's actually measurable change of a limited blood supply to the gut. So you just can't actually capture as many nutrients from the gut. So when we think about that in like the modern world, the idea of, you know, you live a fast paced life, you're at work and, you know, you're smashing out emails while you're shoving down a sandwich literally your gut is 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 made differently in that moment because the blood supply isn't there to do what it needs to do if you're frantically doing stuff at the same time yeah definitely definitely and i think it's something that's really really easy to notice as well like if you just become a you know a little bit more observational of your own body i noticed it just this week um normally i don't really notice my digestion because it works quite well but the other day I was I was listening to a webinar that was so interesting. It was all stuff about COVID and the mechanisms of the virus. And I was really fascinated by it. And it was just one of the, it was a live thing. It was, it was right at tea time. And so I'd just been cooking and I had to just grab my portion of the dinner, take it upstairs and carry on with listening to this webinar. I was so engaged in it and it was fascinating. But an hour later, I just noticed I was really bloated. I was like, what is that? And I thought, oh, I kind of missed dinner because I sort of completely mindlessly just ate it. And I had had quite a busy day in the run up to it as well. So it's one of those things you can notice yourself that, you know, we know this. It's been really, really well documented, the science of what happens during the stress response. But you can notice it yourself. So, you know, what I should have done in that circumstance is just, you know, sit down, take a few breaths, figure out what I was doing. But of course, we're all human and we don't do that. And when we think about the, you know, when people think that they've got IBS or digestive problems and they're at the start of their journey, you know, they're they're looking like, I want to address this. I want to do some things. I feel tired all the time or I'm bloated or my digestion's bad. I think it's like there's, you think to yourself, well, there is something fundamentally wrong with my system. And there might be, you know, there might be that you've got, you know, a parasite infection or a yeast overgrowth or like your stomach acid is far too low or you've got major mineral deficiencies or whatever that you might discover via a practitioner. But actually for a lot of people, if they're just chronically stressed, that could be good enough reason that your digestion is bad. Yeah, that's that's actually, you know, true in many cases that I've seen in clinical practice where there is no parasite or anything like that. But it's the it's the stress that is the sole trigger and driver of the condition. So and when also, we handle that, everything else can sort itself out. So it does cause dysbiosis. It does cause bacterial change. So it can cause physical effects. 
but the sole cause being the stress. One thing that is is thrown around a lot when it comes to functional medicine as well is is like adrenal. You, you'll see it's like the catchphrase online at the moment. It's like adrenal fatigue. So so I think that's a that's an important thing to talk about. Like what what is the adrenal system and how does it how does it affect what's going on in your body? So the adrenals are the source of the stress hormones. They make cortisol and they make adrenaline and um, it's the adrenals are they're these tiny little organs that sit on top of your kidneys. You've got two of them, and they they make these hormones and um, put them into the bloodstream when you are under stress. So when that you when you've got that kind of trigger to activate the stress response, these are the hormones that will be there. Um, and you know, of course, it's because it's putting you into that fight or flight state, you need a lot of fuel and energy in your body at that particular moment in time. So things like your blood sugar will become really elevated really quickly because that's actually useful for you to just suddenly run from an emergency, which is, you know, evolutionary. That's why we have this response. Um, but you can see that the long-term impact of that, if you've constantly got high blood sugar levels because your hormones are driving it, then you can see that the risk of diabetes goes up, the risk of cardiovascular disease will go up because your heart rate is higher, your blood pressure will become higher. And, you know, if your if your stress state is elevated, you know, just for just for the period of time for that acute stressor, and then it goes back to to resting state again, then that's fine and there's no harm done. It's something that your body is set up to do. So it's the it's the prolonged activation of the stress response. And then adrenal exhaustion is a type, it's a, a sort of a state of the person where they've completely lost all resilience against it. So they have an inappropriate response to stress. They'll get a stress response when they're not meant to have one. Then, you know, these are the people that might wake in the night with palpitations and, you know, like different, you know, people's blood sugar will drop and then they're trying to make cortisol to push it up again. But actually, you know, there's it's like a dysregulated response. So instead of having a, a normal response where cortisol will rise and fall again, it it does it inappropriately. And then eventually the energy state of the body just gets really, really low. And there are ways to address that and, course, and bring yeah. those back to normal. But we'll yeah. get into that later yeah. in the podcast. I think yeah. it's really important to talk about cortisol here because I certainly, my sort of Luddite understanding of cortisol is it was this like terrible thing in the body that you want to kind of avoid at all costs. So let's let's just talk about that briefly. We know that, yes, cortisol levels can be linked to chronic health problems, but it's not all pro-inflammatory cortisol. So it's... <laughs> It's not. So so cortisol is kind of our inherent anti-inflammatory in the body. That's its job. So when you get cortisol activation through sympathetic nervous system activity due to stress, what happens is, you know, all of those things with the blood pressure rising, getting the fuels ready, the fats will release from the fat stores and you get loads of free fatty acids and higher glucose levels in the bloodstream. But the one thing that happens to kind of balance it is the cortisol will suppress the immune system. So remember that any kind of inf inflammatory response is your body's attempt to heal something. You know, it's a, again, the inflammatory response is a productive thing unless it goes on and on and can't be, can't be kept in check. So cortisol just suppresses all of that so that the body can just focus on the fight or flight. So, you know, when it is doing what it's meant to be doing, cortisol is an anti-inflammatory. What happens though is you know, when you get chronic stress states and you've got that complete dysregulation that we've discussed, you get a sort of resistance to the cortisol level. So 
it no longer matters how much cortisol there is there. The cells in the body don't hear it. They don't respond to it. So in a similar way, like insulin resistance can cause type 2 diabetes. That's when there's so much insulin going around, the cells start ignoring it. So they can't respond to it. Um, we get a similar sort of thing in those peculiar thyroid cases where all the blood tests look completely normal, but actually it's a cell sensitivity to the thyroid hormone that's broken. Same sort of thing then happens with cortisol. It's a kind of resistance to cortisol. So it doesn't really matter if you've got low cortisol or high cortisol in these particular group of people because the cells just aren't very responsive to it. So what that means is the immune cells that are going to be normally inhibited by cortisol during stress, they, they don't get switched off anymore. They don't know how to respond to that direction. So the immune system is under a lot of direction. It's quite a complex sequence of events that occurs and cortisol is meant to inhibit it. It's meant to shut it down. But in the chronic stress state, it doesn't. But it depletes the white blood cells at the same time because it's trying to be suppressive. So what actually happens is two things. When you're in a chronic stress state and that kind of dysregulation has occurred and you get this resistant type effect where the cells just can't listen to cortisol, not only are you more susceptible to picking up infections, but you are more susceptible to becoming chronically inflamed because you can't the cells just aren't listening anymore to, to that switch off signal that they so need. So this is really implicated in, in chronic health complaints. And I think the first few times that we started talking about this, it like it suddenly started to make sense to me. This like that for me was like the bridge between understanding that your mindset, the the emotional state of, of you and what's going on in the world around you can genuinely lead to chronic health problems. Like, I think we think it could be like a, some of it is just purely environmental or it's purely coming down from uh, like a hereditary gene. But actually, you know, when you go into like the physiology of this, you realise that chronic stress can be really, really detrimental on the body. And that's not to, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh God, well, I'm really stressed all the time. This is really, really bad. There's lots of things that you can do along the way. So it's not all negative, but I think it's just interesting to understand how how that does physically impact the body. Yeah, and perception is everything as well. Like the perception of stress is, so, you know, what's what's stressful to you might not be stressful to me and the other way around. It's if you feel it stressful, it is for you. So some people, you know, people can be an expert on others, can't they? It's so, you know, oh, they're really stressed or, you know, they just thrive on adrenaline or, you know, it's like lots of different observations of other people. But, you know, if you perceive something as stressful, it is and that perception is crucially important. So if you can go in, you know, it's sometimes it's like a mindset change that we have to coach people into where actually if you turn, you know, if you can rename stress as a drive or a passion or something like that, you just view it differently and your hormonal response to it is different based on that perception. So that stuff is fascinating, how the brain itself can perceive something and actually influence the hormonal response to it. So let's every podcast that we do, we always do like a little halfway um, simple things that you can take away, like a tiny little hack for your life and talking around stress. Firstly, let's talk about supplementation. Is there anything or any supplements that you think can be really, really helpful as far as like when your body is under that sort of stress, things that you can supplement with? There's loads out there. There's so much. It's quite hard to 
to kind of nail one or two. Um, I think particular favourites of mine are the amino acids. Um, so theanine is particularly good. It occurs naturally in green tea. Um, but, you know, theanine, you can open a capsule of theanine and pop it under your tongue. And that can be really helpful for panic attacks and, um, you know, high anxiety states. Um, and it's really just very beneficial. But with all the amino acids, you have to take them on an empty stomach because otherwise they just... Um, there's competitive inhibition with the proteins in your food, so you need to take them away from food. Um, Is that why you should also drink green tea like mid-afternoon between, say, lunch and dinner? Is there something similar with green tea? It has an influence, yeah. But there's, a, you know, theanine does come from green tea, but then you've got, you know, it's interesting because you've got some caffeine in green tea, but the theanine kind of balances the effects of caffeine, so it sort of cancels itself out, really. But green tea's got huge, huge benefits for phytonutrients. Um, that kind of, you know, exceed well past kind of stress response benefits. Um, thinking of amino acids, though, the other one that I really, really love, and I've used it so much in practice, is glycine. Um, it's amazing for sleep. It's amazing for just calming the nervous system. Um, and, you know, I even sometimes use a combination of theanine and glycine, but at different times of the day, so people can get the full effect of each one. So normally theanine would be a during the day amino acid and glycine in the evening time, or if they wake in the night, maybe a little bit more glycine. Um, but they, those two things I, I use a lot in practice, you know, but there's loads of other things as well, like magnesium particularly is quite depleted. So that would be a good thing to, to boost. Um, and different things work for different people. As always, when you're supplementing, the best way to do that is to find like a functional practitioner, ideally someone that's band registered to kind of take a look at you individually. What's right for somebody might not be right for somebody else. And if you want to help finding a nutritionist or a functional practitioner, uh, you can uh, head to gutology.co.uk. Um, something else uh, that's uh, really interesting is smells around the house and how our brain connects to to literally what we can smell. And obviously there's ways that you can kind of manipulate that. We talk about um, candles or, or, or probably maybe uh, diffusers. Yeah, smells are really, it's really, really interesting because it's a very, very, very fast way to access the brain. So, you know, if you're in a really high stress state and you can, you know, inhale some essential oils, so like eucalyptus is one of my favourites, for example, but everyone likes their own thing. Um, it has like direct access through the nasal passages into the brain and it can actually induce a neurochemical response. So it can get all those brain chemicals activated. So you can have, you know, there's certain, um, certain smells that will be really stimulatory. We all know that smells can evoke a memory. You know, it's one of the things that can be associated really strongly with memories. But you can get a really calming effect as well from just inhaling something. But it's a very fast access. And, you know, one thing with um, a lot of supplements crossing the blood brain barrier is a challenge so sometimes in you know times of acute stress having these little handy kind of lifestyle tips you know if you're in a stressful situation say your work is is a stress at the moment and your boss is a nightmare or the person sitting two desks away from you is not the person that you want to be around at all you know you could perhaps take a diffuser into work and have, a, you know, something that kind of anchors you a little bit um, or, you know, some people, it works really well for children, actually, having like a little tissue or hanky that they can take in their school bag and put on a little drop of something that they find a really comforting smell. So that if they get upset at school, they can just inhale that and it kind of anchors them and brings them back. Would you choose diffusers over candles? Um, yeah, I would just because of the purity. So, you know, we um, 
we do have to be really careful with different toxins and things like that. And there are good candles, like candles made from soya wax with just pure essential oils do exist. But, you know, a lot of them say they're pure and they're not. They've got synthetic fragrances. And, you know, we know the impact that that has negatively on the body. So, you know, I think to keep to keep it pure, you know, diffusers are so cheap on Amazon these days. And you can just then put you can put your own mix of different essential oils in uh, and see what works for you. So uh, in line with stress, what would be a couple of essential oils that you would recommend? Uh, like citrusy ones are lovely, like grapefruit, wild orange, that kind of thing. Uh, lavender is really nice as well if you like the smell I think it's a lot again coming back to that perception so like lavender wild orange grapefruit they're kind of the three that I always always suggest are like anti-stress and quite calming but if you don't like the smell of lavender (laughs) you're not going to find it relieving your stress it's very personal so you know I think just go with what uh, the other thing that's really important actually for like you know how I kind of do this in practice with there's always different ways we have to approach things with like multitude of techniques rather than just kind of going down one thing. But it's sort of a, an attempt at programming what is a nice smell for you. So like when you're, you know, if if you're, you know, in a place where you feel quite in control and, you know, reasonably happy, then that is the time to program the scent that you then want to come back to when you need it. So that's the time then to get your diffuser going because you're actually, you're, you're creating a neural network around that particular smell so that if you do then get into a different stressful situation, so say home's good, but work is stressful, set the habit at home. And then at that awful peak of the day where, you know, that awful person is having a go at your work or whatever it may be, um, you then... Snort some essential oils under your desk. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. So it's kind of preparation for it as well and setting up some stuff that's good for you. And It's fascinating, isn't it? Like when you think about the connection from what we, uh, you know, perceive to be stress in your head. I think probably it's only in the last sort of 20 to 30 years that we've really started to understand that it can have major, you know, physical effects on the body. But what what can you can you do about it? And I think before we talk about, you know, we've briefly touched on supplements there and um, things that you can do uh, in your lifestyle as well, I think it's probably really important to talk about the different types of stress. We sometimes talk about anxious people as if it's like a hereditary thing. They've grown up and they're a nervous Norman and they're quite highly strung um, and and they're labelled like that throughout their lives. And like you talk about perception there, Julia, they then believe that they're an anxious, anxious person so they could never possibly get on a plane or go to a busy place or have a stressful job because they are an anxious person. Whereas, you know, if you were to talk to maybe... Uh, like a systemic psychotherapist, they might say, well, actually, you were exposed to some very stressful, traumatic situations at certain points in your life, and maybe you haven't processed that, or you understand it in a way that may be wrong. Like, it's really sometimes hard to get outside your head and understand that you're not a super anxious person, you went through something really, really stressful, or, you know, you were a super calm person, and you had a really gentle upbringing and nothing and you were you were raised in a resilient way but then you find yourself in your 20s or 30s in an in a marriage that is incredibly stressful emotional abuse can be the most insidious subtle thing to experience and some people might be in a relationship where they might say to you it's great because they can't actually understand that the partner in some ways is really emotionally abusive 
And the weirdest thing is the other partner might not even understand what they do is incredibly, it's, it's a really, really complex thing. So I think it's really important when we think about stress is to, before we go into, yeah, go and take a load of glycine or theanine, really start to think about what are the relationships that I have in my life? How do I perceive myself? You know, we talk about, I think both of us have experienced therapy of some sorts along the way and found it incredibly beneficial, but also taking a look at, you know, what are the relationships at work? Are there certain friends in your circle that actually they gain something? Can you lose something from that relationship? Or the most common, are you in a job that is just incredibly stressful? And and what is the balance of that? Is it worth the cost? Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with all of that. I think in you know in in our practice we there's it's very very rare where we don't have to do a little bit of work with understanding the stress impact on their condition. So um you know most of the conditions that we see tend to be quite complex and quite long standing. So you know just the the fact that they're living with some kind of health problem that's a daily thing that in itself is a stressor. So almost regardless of if whether they've got the the apparently perfect life outside of that they've still got the stress of living with that chronic condition. So I think I think self-reflectiveness is a really important part of the whole functional medicine approach because you you do get to know yourself in a different way. When you're trying to change the trajectory of your health complaints, it's an interesting roller coaster. It is not easy. It's a really, really difficult thing to do because there's there's always a reason why you've got to the point you've got to with your health. And it's an incredibly hard thing to do. And we are we are, we make many referrals to different forms of forms of psychological support or coaches or you know other people that when it pushes outside out the realm of what we can do ourselves. Um, because if somebody commits to make a change to their say it's an autoimmune disease, they may well have to leave their wife, husband. They may well have to move away from parents that are have not got a healthy relationship with them they may need to quit that job they may need to move out of their house that is you know maybe got loads of mold in it or things that you know there's like other things like so that's an example of like a physical stressor something in the environment that you know is activating that stress response but um you know so we're seeing people that have got a kind of day-to-day um, change that they need to make and giving the it's very interesting culturally what the expectation is of what you meant to do as an adult in the in the UK or in the Western world you know you do your job you get your salary you do this and everyone thinks it's really really stressful but actually there are so many more choices that when you're coached to understand what those choices might be um, and um, it can be a very a very interesting time so thinking of the the time that I would spend with people going through their chronic health complaints to really turn it around so that they have a completely different life that's free of pain or whatever it might be that they were suffering with the significant change in what they've had to do to get there um, it is a roller coaster but it does change the direction I think that's the really important thing to do when you're in a situation that's you know, it's traumatic and there's a lot of stress going on. It's very difficult to see that change. But, you know, even if at this particular point in time you can't afford to get help or anything like that, just periods of self-reflectiveness. And there's loads of, um, you know, resources online that can help with self-reflectiveness to just help look at 
why might you be like that? Why might you be responding like that? Why are you in this situation? What's blocking you from getting out of that situation? Looking at all of those different aspects of it. Yeah, and I think that that when you, um, you know, a lot of people will start this journey where they have a health complaint and they go to the doctor. And the doctor in some way says, right, I understand, like I hear that you have this symptom. Here is something to deal with that symptom. And in some ways, like the healthcare system is the most phenomenal thing we've ever created as 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 human beings. But really fundamentally, is there as a life saving service? It's there for to, to you know for people that are really really sick to save their lives, and it does an amazing job of that. What's not going to happen potentially with a GP is go you know there's just not enough resource or time to go into breaking down your diet, your relationships, and all of those things. And I think you're right. If you're you know we've got listeners that are in you know, Patagonia, India, New Zealand, Australia, you know, in the internet now really, if used wisely, can be an incredible portal. There's amazing services uh, services out there. You know, I think is it the um uh get better app or the I think I think I've got that right. I'll 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 add a note to this episode at the end if, if I've got that wrong. But you know, you can access a therapist anywhere in the world as long as you've got an internet connection. You know, how amazing. It doesn't matter if you're in the middle of nowhere. So so taking all of those things on board, doing some reading and thinking of, you know, I I almost hate using the word holistic because I think it's almost got a bit of a yeah. a furry vegan connotation yeah, now. Yeah. But, you know, I, I think so. And so let's talk about away from those sorts of things, lifestyle things that can have, you know, a, a major impact going on from that. So the idea of apps. OK, so let's move on from. Um, like a therapy app to there's loads of uh, meditation apps out there like Headspace. Yeah, yeah, Headspace is great. I mean, I think even GPs prescribe head, Headspace now. You know, it's been really well studied and uh, documented how useful it can be. Um, Insight Timer, I love because there's just so much variation on there. Um, you know, for it, it's it's striking the tone for you. So, you know, for some people, um, like quiet sitting type meditation is absolutely brilliant and it can just really anchor them, even if it's just for a few minutes a day. For other people, they need to do something physical. So, you know, I lo- I really enjoy doing Qigong. Have you ever done that? No. Yeah, what is it? It's amazing. It's like a, it's a physical exercise, but it's kind of like a meditative thing. You have to like really Tai Chi. Yeah, very yeah, similar okay. to Tai Chi. Same sort of thing. I've I got friends. I don't that really like, know the difference between the two. But, no. No. Um, but, you know, that's what I do myself and particularly particularly after like after a busy day I quite like it as an evening activity that I don't want anything too stimulating um it's really calming and like sometimes it just gets you more aware like you know when you do certain movements and stretching your body you kind of realize where you're holding the tension and it makes you become a bit more aware of it um but yeah there's different I think with there's so many free apps like there's no reason to pay for apps these days because there's just so much out there but it's just it's I would just suggest like if, you know, even if you think meditation's not for you, like just try it. There's just so many different, so many different types, you know, progressive muscle relaxation actually is a really good one to get started. So it's like a guided thing where you tighten all your muscles progressively through the body. So something like I think quite often it starts with the feet and you like squeeze your toes like and then release them and then squeeze your calf muscles and release them and you do that all the way through your body and there is no doubt that even if you think it's a bit boring like 10 minutes later you will be more relaxed so stuff like that can be really helpful to get into it um when we come on to to exercise i think you know there is this idea that all exercise is good but i know that we have a, a lot of people that listen to this podcast that maybe 
you know, dealing with uh, autoimmune conditions or, or diabetes or, you know, anything like that. It's not necessary. Hardcore exercise is not necessarily the route for everyone, certainly at the beginning. Yeah, no, I agree with that. It's a, it's a, yeah, there's a really fine line between kind of healthy exercise and damaging exercise. So you can't go far wrong with like slower based stuff like, you know, like walking and um Stretching based exercises are always pretty beneficial for everybody, but sometimes like going for a 5k run three times a week would be brilliant for one person, but really detrimental for the other. And how would you know? How would you know that you is it just how you feel in yourself after you do that or the day later? What's the sort of litmus? It's it's a bit of both. So sometimes you can feel what like really good immediately afterwards but then you get like a delayed fatigue the next day that would be a sign to me that that's not the right thing or you've pushed it too far so it might be partly the right thing so instead of doing 5k let's do two and a half and see how that works and it's kind of an an observation over really several weeks of is this the right thing for you because when you're starting you know I can just imagine anyone listening to this now is thinking great that's the green light to sit on my sofa (laughs) brilliant (laughs) so it's trying it's trying something giving it a giving it a time period and obviously like you know if they were being advised professionally that's a different state but most of the people listening won't be so trying something and always grading up to it when my husband started running, he tried to do 5K on the first day, hurt his knee, couldn't do anything for three weeks. And I was like, well, come on, let's think about it. Maybe, although you feel capable, actually you need to train your body, get all over muscles. I think, I, you know, I, I don't want to put a gender divide here, but I always think like the, women are far better at like a measured approach to things where guys are like, I'm taking up running. It's just a marathon for me. Straight out of the 23 mile mark. It's so true. It's so true. Yeah. Um, and And... Where we started in this podcast, I think, is a good place to, to to kind of revisit, and that's that's heat stress on the body. And obviously, there's two types: there's cold stress, and there's hot stress. So everything from a, a you know a, a cold shower right through to a to a sauna, and and it's amazing actually the physiological effects that can be very very similar to what you get from exercise at the same time, particularly for people that aren't particularly mobile. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like like let's take take like the heat first, like you know, it will increase your circulation, it oxygenates your body and it really stimulates detoxification as well. So that's something that, you know, if if there's people that I'm seeing in my clinical practice that have got a lot of toxicity, so um, things like moulds or different types of toxins that we might find more through like the testing side, then we have to implement like detox programmes. And once we've set the body up for that, which takes, you know, several weeks of preparation, we use saunas on a regular basis, really, really hot heat to actually start stimulating tissue release of toxins. So it can be really beneficial. Um, And, um, but um, with cold, like it's just, it's a, it's a, it's a stressor. It's a change of temperature. It's kind of a hormesis type effect where, you know, you're, you're inducing a stress, but to get a beneficial response out of it. Um, so, um, you know, cold showers, like the, the Wim Hof stuff, if you heard of mm-hmm. that, yeah, amazing. Um, and again, though, you know, his advice is you build up really gradually with your cold shower. You don't go in there and stand in ice cold water for yeah, five minutes. Yeah, don't go and jump in the local lake. Exactly. You know, you just go, like you're grading up to it. Um, and uh, actually, it is worth a mention, the, the breathing method with Wim Hof, that's something that I personally find really effective. And I've advised several um, people recently to be trying that as well through through the practice, because particularly when you're in high stress state, it's an active type of breathing exercise that it does sort of feels like it takes, 
it takes energy to put into it rather than just sitting there and trying to calm yourself down. You know, it's kind of an active thing. You just do it. And I've never done it when I haven't felt significantly better 10 minutes in than before. So that's really worth looking up as well. Loads of stuff on YouTube. And I, I think one one sort of final thing to talk about before we, we wrap this up today, and you can read lots more about um, some of the apps we talked about, some stress articles online at gutology.co.uk. We've got an amazing team of writers that are just putting brilliant, far more informative articles together than we can on a podcast. Um, but uh, with hardcore references, I may add. Um, 2020, 24-hour news streams, social media, you know, there is there is a, a constant sort of barrage on on your senses every single day. And I, I think we touched on this in season one, but I, I'm a real stickler for it now. And I think it's really, really helped me this idea of you can start your day with the best intentions in the world where you say, yep, I'm going to I'm going to wake up. I'm going to do a gratitude diary and I'm going to uh, stare at the flipping trees for 10 minutes. And you wake up and the first thing you get is and it's a news bulletin saying that your next door neighbor's got coronavirus. And the next thing is, it's your sister saying, oh, God, HMRC have just charged me four grand for my... And you absorb a little bit of that stress. And I think that technology is this amazing thing that you can utilise, but you have to be really, really careful that it doesn't sort of dominate you. And this idea of you can, on an iPhone now, you can... And I, I do this with mine, is I, I set it so it switches itself off. Like I can't get any alerts, you know, between... 7.30 in the evening and, and you can even set it so you've got some because some people say yeah but what if my elderly dad you can set it so emergency numbers can break through that it takes a bit of setting up but then you know you leave your phone downstairs when you go to bed and you don't get blue light in your eyes before you go to sleep you know all of these things they're small things but they really really build up over time yeah I completely agree I think we're you know We've all suffered that kind of stuff and it takes a lot of self-discipline. And, you know, that's something that personally I struggle with because, you know, the field of work that I'm in is it is kind of all encompassing. And I'm so passionate about trying to do everything I can to help everyone that it's that it is difficult to switch off. So, you know, for us as a clinic, we actually use a psychotherapist to help us kind of have better strategies to actually kind of offload the stress that we absorb from people, but also the kind of coaching that, you know, exactly what you've said, like segmenting times where you can respond to emails and setting an expectation. So, you know, I, I quite often find myself saying, you know, you can email me, but please know that it might take me a few days to respond, but I will always get back to you in some shape or form. And, you know, that. But then again, you find yourself responding to, there's always that person that's like, um, excuse me, I sent you an email an hour and a half ago. I haven't yet had a response. Did you get it? Did you get it? And instantly, no matter who you are, your stress levels go up. Yeah. You're like, oh my God, I did get it. Yes, I did. I'm really sorry. I'll get back to you. And you're like, what am I doing? I'm suddenly, all of my strategies have gone out the window because I've been put under pressure. So, you know, that's personally something I really struggle with. And it just has to be an ongoing self-discipline to try and think of different ways. But certainly leaving airplane mode on my phone is my best friend. Uh, it's something I use. Um, I went away for a couple of days and I put my phone on airplane mode and it was the most liberating thing I did. And I just thought, well, what if there is an emergency? I thought, well, 
well, like, what if there is? Like, I had my children with me, like, unless from the Yorkshire Dales in the middle of nowhere, I can actually help. Maybe I'll just have to wait till I switch my phone on in four hours time. So I think to 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 wrap up this episode, you know, I think I think sometimes actually, you know, when you, you're listening to this and you're stressed to start with, by the end of the episode, you're like, oh, there's just so much to think about with all of these things. It's just about breaking it down into smaller chunks. And I think right from the beginning, thinking to yourself, you know, what are the major, what are the big things in my life? You know, at the end of the day, what are you trying to buy yourself? You're just trying to buy yourself time. So stressful jobs, stressful relationships, all of those sorts of things. There's loads of apps and stuff like that that can help you on the internet. And then taking some small habits. If you just take one thing away from this podcast, it might just be implementing switching your phone off at 7.30 at night and, you know, over seven days, over a month, over two months, that accumulates, you know, it's exponential the sort of impacts that it has on you. And that's it for this week. Thanks uh, for listening. Thanks for being a part of the project. Um, yeah, if you want to go and chat to a gutologist, you can do it right now, gutology.co.uk. Get the elimination uh, diet if you want to be a part of that, if you want to do some stuff, read our articles, uh, and come say hi on Instagram and Facebook at gutologyhq. It's where we share a load of the videos from the podcast, and you can have a chat and ask us questions and Tell us what you think of the show. Oh, and if you get a chance as well on iTunes, go and give us a review and a rating. That really helps other people find the podcast too. All right, enough of that spiel. Um, it's been a busy start of the year, but I hope you're doing well and I hope that you're having fun and life's not too hard under lockdown. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>